Melissa McGill, and I want to tell you why I love my church. I intended to give this testimony several weeks ago, but I was sick and too nasally sounding. Plus, I needed to change a few words and the way I was going to deliver this because the pastor stole my thunder with his sermon a couple of weeks ago. You'll understand more as I go forward, but thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. I'm just kidding. I love my church because of the support that this church has provided to me and my family. Support can be a noun or a verb, and my family has received both. In 2014, I moved from Louisa to Ashland and went to just about every church in a 15-mile radius looking for that warm, friendly, loving environment, and I found it here at Harmony Vineyard. Beginning in 2015, my life has had, until now, my life has had many twists and turns, and this church has supported us in each and every one. <clears throat> one way you've supported us is with your acts of service. In 2015, I contacted Pastor Jeff with all kinds of grand ideas about different programs or ministries that would be great to start here at the church and maybe draw some more folks in. And the pastor kindly replied that there are lots of programs and ministries that the folks would love to have, but there are just too few worker bees. But he fully supported anything I wanted to do. So in 2015, I perfectly started the fellowship ministry because friendship takes investment. And so <clears throat> I held several pool fellowship luncheons at my house and we held dances and game nights here to give space and place for friendship bonds to be created and developed. I also needed leaves raked and asked the teens to help. And they showed up to this crazy woman's house that they didn't even know <clears throat> in order to help. Now I paid them for their time, but what teen wants to do hard labor? But they did. Another act of service was how you helped my daughter move five times in four years. And every time, certain members of the, of the church would show up to help, to help her move. And one time in particular, when the church members found out that she had worked all night long as a nurse and hadn't slept, they made her go take a nap, and they alone loaded the moving van. <clears throat> Another time, my car got stuck in the mud, and after I sent out an SOS to the church, several of the church guys showed up and helped me get unstuck when my youngest granddaughter was in the hospital and eventually diagnosed with cancer and I was keeping my older granddaughter but couldn't take off that much time, I contacted the preschool and Angel Deer allowed her to attend at a much reduced price. And last but certainly not least is School of Kingdom Ministry. It's a nine month collegiate level theology class that takes a lot of energy and time and dedication and has real spiritual application. So thank you church for all your acts of service. This church has also supported us with, with your presence, just being there. In terms of the fellowship ministry functions, thank you for showing up. All of them were well attended and I hope you all had a good time. One in particular is extremely special to me because 11 baptisms took place in my pool. And I was so blessed that God allowed such a special spiritual time to take place in my backyard. In 2017, and even until now, I felt very sad and depressed and in despair and even hopeless when my husband suddenly decided to end our marriage. But this church family has rallied around me. You've offered comfort and compassion to listen, support me, lots of tissues, encouragement, and lots of love. The church even provided free counseling for several months. And at one time, even the pastor was personally providing counsel. And then over three years, over this last three years, there's been so many calls and texts and emails just to let me know you care and you want to know if I'm okay. Thank you for your presence. 
This church has supported us with prayer. I have a sign at my house that says prayer changes things, and it really does, mostly me. You've continued to pray for me, for healing, for peace, for comfort, for strength. And even when I recently walked away because I was feeling so hopeless, I needed a break. So many of you reached out to let me know you were still praying for me. Just so you know, your prayers are sometimes the life support that someone needs. Never stop. And please never stop praying for me and my family. Thank you for your prayers. Your support has also taken the form of gifts. Most people think of that as financial assistance. And sometimes it's through money that the greatest spiritual impact can be made. One example is when my daughter was moving the time she was told to take a nap. That those church members loaded up that van two or three times and delivered her stuff. And at the end, when they were ready to leave, they turned around and they handed her the money for the rental truck, unsolicited. She didn't ask for it, but she'll never forget it. In 2017, when I was so devastated, someone anonymously paid for me to attend the women's ministry. They knew I needed to get away. They knew I needed encouragement. They knew I needed time with God. And, they, and my spiritual welfare was more important than the money. Gifts can also come in the form of cards, and I've received so many from you, just letting me know you're thinking of me and that you love me. They can also come in the form of Christmas presents. Christmas is especially difficult for me lately. In 2017, I attended Jeff and Sally's Christmas gathering, and she gave everybody a number. And under the tree, there were a few gifts, and if your number matched, you won that gift. Well, my number didn't match. That's no big deal. And I hope I'm not ratting you out, Sally. But a little later on, she came and she gave me another number. And I know she knew that it matched a gift under the tree. It turned out to be a beautiful lighted nativity snow globe thing that's now a family heirloom. But those gifts, everything that I've been talking about, your gifts of service, your acts of service, your, your presence, your prayers, and even all the different types of gifts, they're gifts of yourselves. And those gifts of yourselves are gifts of love. John said to me recently that in God we find unrelenting kindness. In this church I have found unrelenting kindness and unrelenting love. And I love my church for that. And you know, it's that unrelenting kindness and unrelenting love. That's where the power really is when you start to think about it. Because that kind of love is positive outreach wielding eternal results. And that's why I love my church. Hmm. Well, I got through that one without crying this time. <laughs> I didn't the first time I saw it. And I'll tell you what, if I ever get depressed or start to feel like we're not doing any good, I'm just going to go back and watch all these I Love My Church videos again because uh, they certainly up, have helped me understand better, I think, what, what, we're, uh, what we're accomplishing here. Amen. So anyway. All right. So let's recap a little bit about where we've been the past four weeks. So... Um, we started this on Sunday, January the 5th, where I talked about vision and uh, kind of related what our vision is. We are working on 
making that vision even more prominent and uh, apparent to people via the walls of this church. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. But I'm, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through all of this in, all, in, in great detail. So we talked about vision first and foremost. Next, the next week, we talked about giving. And we talked about it in the context, and, and sort of as Melissa was just highlighting, that giving is more about just giving money. You know, that it's, it's tithing is certainly a part of that, but giving of yourself, giving uh, of your time to someone in need is certainly uh, key to that as well. Next week, we talked about community, and we talked about the importance of that and how we are trying to build community here. And uh, if you were here, you may remember that I asked, I got all of us in a circle, and we served one another communion as sort of a visible reminder of what community is supposed to look like. Next uh, was, was Chip, and Chip talked at length about evangelism and how important it is and how uh, we've, we want to be more outward focused in everything that we're doing. And, you know, and I think he was very blunt but very honest when he talked about the fact that your reticence or hesitancy to talk to somebody about Jesus may condemn them to hell. You know, and again, he said it, that, that's a hard, harsh thing to say, but it is the truth. It is the truth. And so, this being our last week, I want to talk about servanthood. And um, servanthood is essentially the character or the status of being a servant. And that is a, a part of the culture that we really want to build here that we want to, uh, to build this culture of servanthood. Oh, I just thought of something that I probably ought to mention before I go any further, otherwise I'll forget it. The Alpha class. Um, just a reminder to sort of continue to pray about people to invite. Uh, we have some wonderful, professionally done invitations um, that we left at home today. So we don't have those to hand out. Um, well, I was trying to give you some cover there. Um, so <laughs> anyway, keep praying and we will have those to you soon. Um, so anyway, sorry for the interruption, but that just flew into my head. Um, so talking about servanthood. And the thing that occurred to me as I was kind of looking at this this morning is, you know, this whole series on why I love my church. If you wanted to define servanthood, it could be defined as why visitors and newcomers will love this church. Think about that for a moment. If we're all serving, and if that's our focus, then folks that come in here will, will, will feel that immediately and will know. And so the text I want to look at for uh, this issue of servanthood or this idea of servanthood is probably a familiar one for many of you. It's the uh, text from John's Gospel, 13th chapter, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. So let's take a look at that. If You, you can follow along at your uh, seat with a Bible or app, or we're going to have the text on the screen for you. So this is John 13, verses 1 through 15, and I'll be reading it from the ESV. Verse 1. Now, 
before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, Well, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and returned to his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. All right. So, in order to really understand what's going on here. And I will say this, this is a very, very theologically rich passage. There's all kinds of, could probably spend a whole month just exploring all the stuff that is in this passage. But we're just going to look at one aspect of it today. And to understand that aspect, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of context. Some of you may know some of this already, but there are others that may not. And so it, and it'll be a refresher for those that are not aware of it. But really, to, to, to really get a good idea of what's going on in this passage, you have to understand the fact that ancient eastern streets were nothing like the streets we have today. Nothing, okay? Just as an example, they were largely unpaved, they were narrow, they were badly crowded, they were choked with refuse, garbage, and frequented by dogs and other sources of excrement. Lovely picture, isn't it? I was trying to think visually, and it's sort of like if you would imagine Broad Street with a parade, like the circus has come to town, and there's a parade down the street, and you have all of the elements of that parade except those poor guys that have to walk along with the shovels and the scoops. They're not there. And then you add some garbage and dirt and dust and all the rest of it, and you're beginning to get an idea of what streets in the Middle East look like then. Okay? Now, not only were these nasty streets 
people wore sandals without socks, without any kind of other foot protection. So they walked through this in sandals. You get in the picture? So, as a measure of hospitality in that time, when people got to their destination, so if they were, you're going over, say I'm going to Harvey's house, okay, and I've, I'm walking through all this mess, well, it was typical of a host to provide, uh, at the very least, a bowl and a towel for his guests to wash their feet. Now, if Harvey is a really well-to-do host, he would have a servant assigned to that job. And so as soon as his guests came in, the servant would wash their feet, and uh, they would go on into the house. Now, in the case of servants, you can imagine this probably was not a job that the servants fought over. Oh, please let me do that today. See, there were no latex gloves. There were no Costco-sized jars of hand sanitizer that you could use afterwards. This was a job that was assigned to the least and the lowest servant in the household. And so, wherever Jesus and his disciples ate their supper on this night, There was nobody there to perform the service. So Jesus waits until after they're finished, and he does the job himself. His disciples very likely were stunned. Dr. John Christopher Thomas uh, did a, a comprehensive study and actually wrote a book on foot washing practices in the Middle East during this time. And he, he concluded that Jesus' act represents the most menial task and was unrivaled in antiquity. And we're going to explore that a little bit more here in a moment. And there you see a picture of what pottery would be used in this particular task. But what I want to talk about more specifically is what does Jesus' example teach us about servanthood? As I said, there's a whole lot of things going on here, but in particular, what does this particular part of this passage teach us? And so I think there is, uh, there's three points that we can sort of look at. The first is, is that servanthood is the lifeblood of evangelism. Servanthood is the lifeblood of evangelism. So here's Jesus, knowing that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, and that he came from God and he was going back to God. Knowing all of that didn't make Jesus think in any way that he was above carrying out this service. He knew full well who he was but he washed the disciples' feet anyway. Because Jesus needed these men to know something too. You see, these are people who, would, who were, would go on to be leaders 
of this new church that was being formed. James, John, and Peter became leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem, just as an example. And so Jesus was teaching these soon-to-be leaders that as they labored to spread the gospel, that first and foremost, they had to be the servants of the ones that they were teaching. And I would imagine that the disciples must have remembered this lesson a lot. Right? As they were dealing with all of the problems and the struggles and the joys that the, of the early believers that, that they were sort of put in charge of, how many times must they have gone back to that and remembered that, that I came here to serve and this was part of serving? That dealing with people's issues and problems is just as much a part of serving a church as rejoicing with them when good things happen. And what a difference it made. Can you imagine how difficult the growth of that early church would be? And I, you could even argue maybe even its entire existence depended on the fact that these men saw themselves as servants instead of where the, these guys were, which was constantly vying to see who was the greatest and the most important among them. Remember that from Scripture? When they're trying to say, well, you know, someone's, James and John's mom, I think it was, shows up and is lobbying for her sons to be, have positions of honor. And Jesus asks them, do you really understand what you're asking for? Now, fortunately for us, they all took the lessons that Jesus was giving them to heart. And I would say that the growth of this church and the quest for our vision depends no less on servanthood than the early church did. Have you ever thought about the impact that serving others has on people who come into this place for the first time? It's a good question. Servants greet them at the door. Servants prepare the coffee and the food that they enjoy. Servants teach and care for their children. Servants prepare the Lord's Supper for them. Servants lead them in worship. Servants pray for them. And the list could go on and on. And not included in that are things like the servants who put signs out just to make sure they can even find their way here. See, there's an awful lot of stuff like that, that that goes on that we don't even aren't even aware of. It's like, well, someone has to do that every week. I mean, thank God we are not a church that has to set up and tear down in a space every week. I've done that. I did that for years, not with this church, but with another one. It's tiring, and it gets old doing that week after week after week. So praise the Lord that we can afford to be here. (laughs) But see, that's all part of evangelism, right? Do you see that? Because when we're all serving people in that way, it prepares them and prepares their hearts to hear or receive whatever it is that God has for them that day. And that's not necessarily something I say. 
That could be the way a particular song impacts them. It could be the way uh, that some word that somebody gets and comes up and shares could be the one thing that unlocks their heart. And so in that sense, servanthood is really critical to, the, to our whole evangelism effort. And that you know, only extends when we go outside the walls of this church and, and go to serve other people. So servanthood is the lifeblood of evangelism. Secondly, I think what Jesus teaches us is that no form of service is beneath you. Now, as I mentioned above, people who are familiar with first century culture are immediately going to recognize how socially inappropriate what Jesus did was. Right? Never in Jewish, Greek, or Roman society would a superior wash the feet of an inferior. Never. And according to Jewish tradition, a Jewish slave would not be asked to wash people's feet. That would be assigned to a Gentile slave. So the disciples' shock at Jesus volunteering, it's not merely the result of, of them being ashamed that they didn't think of it first. It's their response to finding the sense of how they sort of thought things should operate got totally shattered. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, equivalent in some sense to when Jesus took the Passover meal and twisted it 180 degrees, and they're like, what? But once again, Jesus reverses the normal roles that people have. His act of humility is as unnecessary as it was stunning. You didn't have to do this. But it's simultaneously both a display of the amount of love that he had, as well as showing them the conduct, the way of conducting themselves that they were to take after he left. That they had to have that mindset, that attitude of servanthood. And I think, you know, as we read this, Jesus ought to be shattering your sense of the fitness of things too. So you think you're too learned, learned, or too important, or too spiritually mature to empty a trash can, or teach the children, or sit and talk with a homeless person? See, I think Jesus would look you straight in the eye and say, remember when I washed the disciples' feet? No form of service is beneath us. And finally, servanthood makes us more like Jesus. See, there are people who, who approach service because it enables them to get um, attaboys. They like the recognition, they like the approval. They like people to see them doing something. And typically, if that's the motivation, then the effort that they put forward will go only as far as they are receiving feedback positively for it. Right? So in other words, it's dependent upon somebody noticing what they're doing. And as soon as no nobody 
notices or acknowledges what's going on, then, then they're done. See, Jesus' service expressed who he was. It didn't depend on who others thought he was. He did it because that's who he was. That was part of him. And so when we serve freely without expecting you know, some sort of a response or expecting the approval of others, we are in that moment becoming like Jesus. Some people just kind of do it naturally. Um, take, for example, Jesus' friend Martha. Remember Mary and Martha? Well, Martha, serving came very easily to her. She was a very, obviously a very gracious person, and it was just something that sort of flowed out from her. Now, you know, Jesus had to corral her service a little bit at some point because she was not understanding that some things are more important than serving, and that meant him and what he had to say. But I think, you know, sometimes we, Martha might get a little bit of a bad name because you know, Jesus had to correct her in that instance. But, you know, I think she had a wonderful heart. You know, it was probably her joy to do this. She was motivated. And, and there are several of you in the congregation that I, ha I have personally experienced that from you. That you. You're just natural hosts and hostesses, right? And it just comes naturally to you. And you just embrace people and they feel what You make them feel welcome. And it's wonderful. And I think that's kind of how Martha was. So it, hospitality is essentially a gift that you possess. So you have those people, and then you have, you have some people where serving is just really an ordeal. You know? Um, either you feel inept doing it, or you're exhausted because you have to do it, or you get angry if nobody actually says thank you when you do it, and so, in that instance, hospitality essentially is just this uncomfortable chore that you somehow feel like you're forced to do. And then there are those people who find it very difficult to accept service from others. Now, these people are typically um, the ones who have this gift of hospitality who are the highest in that area, and they just find it very difficult to be the ones on the receiving end. They're so used to giving that when it comes to receiving, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not supposed to do this. I should be serving you. So they just, it's very difficult to receive this. I've seen this happen over and over, uh, in particular on Walk to Emmaus weekends, because those weekends uh, are very service-oriented. And the, the men and women who come on those weekends are pretty much weighted on hand and foot through the entire thing. And it's amazing to watch that very first day, which is a Friday, how people struggle with this, th with this aspect. Because very few of us are used to being served. We're used to doing it. And that's our comfort zone. And when you see people that are trying to wait on you hand and foot, and these folks are like, oh, well, I can, get, I can do that. I can get that. I can, and they're just like, no, 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 just sit. Now, what's funny is that by Sunday, 
they've completely let go of the control of serving, and they're like, hey, could you get me one of those things? It's not quite that bad, but it's close. I, I, it's kind of interesting as to what it must be like when they go back home. Um, but we need to remember that the whole point of serving is that we are obeying and trying to imitate Jesus. That's who he was. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And if you're one of those folks that struggle with accepting service, think of it as that you're accepting Jesus serving you. If someone's doing it with that heart, that's what they intend. And so Christ-elevated serving of others is really one of the highest pursuits to which we can dedicate ourselves. And so servanthood makes us more like Jesus. Well, right after our service concludes today, we're having this meal. And I've been thinking about this. And our, our point of this meal is to honor the people that uh, serve here. Those, those folks that give of their time and their talent and their efforts uh, to make this church happen. It doesn't just happen. I, I certainly couldn't do it all myself. Uh, you would really notice if it was just me trying to do it. I'm lucky to get a sermon together by the end of the week much less, you know, do all the other things that have to be done in order to make this happen. And what's going to happen is that the staff, myself and John and Chip, Cindy, Andre, if you were here, um, we're going to serve you. And it's just our way of saying thank you, that you are willing to give of your time and your, your talent and your efforts. And I feel like well, let me tell you what I had prepared and then what I think is going on. You see, it was, it's sort of my hope and my prayer that, that those of you that may not have felt like you were, you, were will, you were able to attend the lunch today because you didn't feel like you were serving in some capacity, that this would be at least in part helping to motivate you that you would want to be there the next time. Because this is what we're trying to accomplish, right? We can't, we can't do the vision. We can't come any, anywhere close to achieving the vision we're trying to achieve without everybody's help. It's just that simple. And I think, I've never really come up with a good name for, you know, I know there are folks that have their various churches that have teams of servants, and they call them the blue team or the red team or whatever, you know, and it's, that's fine. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I've, here's what I want us to call what I want you to call yourselves. If you're serving in subcapacity, 
I hereby uh, christen you the Dirty Feet Servants. And the reason for that, I mean, it sounds kind of gross, but I hope what it will do is that when you talk to somebody about our church and you use that term, dirty feet servant, it's going to remind you of exactly what being a servant means. Right? Because you're not going to be able to say that without thinking of John 13 and what Jesus did. And, it'll, it, and hopefully it serves as a reminder to all of us that that's why we're here, that that's part of our purpose, is to serve others. But this is, this is what I really feel like God wants to do today, and I, I think we can make this work. I would like to invite all of you to come to lunch today. I would like all of you to be there. So we'll start here. Now, the next time we have, have do this luncheon, and I, we want to do them somewhat regularly because I think that's a, an area that I have been remiss in is in thanking the people that take on these jobs uh, as often as I should. And doing it in a tangible way. I know if I say thank you, I appreciate you, that, that there's meaning there, and I'm not doing that just to be flippant. But I think it also befits us to acknowledge who those people are in some kind of a special way. So you're all invited today. You're not all invited the next time we do it. <laughs> you gotta earn it, all right? So if you're not serving in some way, this is an encouragement. There's an org chart out on the uh, little board that's right outside this door here. Okay, and it's, it lays out, and I apologize to you, you didn't make it onto this version of it. I remembered it afterwards, but I'd already printed it. Okay. So when you look at it, imagine that your name is there. <laughs> Everybody else, see Ray's name Sorry. under greeters, right? But there's a places where you, it'll show you all the various tasks and things that, that are going on here, and, and who's in charge of them and so forth. So if, you're, if you haven't found a place to plug in yet, you can look there and see, okay, well, if I wanted to do that, here's who I should talk to. And if I want to do that, well, then here's who I should talk to. Or, as an alternative, you can come to any of us on staff and say, hey, you know, I'd really like to get involved in some way in serving. How can I help? Now, some of you have come to me about starting ministries, and that's wonderful, and we are currently, you know, sort of pursuing that. That's another way that you can, you know, serve. If you have some idea of something that, um, some need that you can meet or some idea for a ministry, that's a wonderful way to serve. However, <laughs> don't come to me and say, I've got this great idea for a ministry. Oh, well, great. When do you want to start? Well, I'm not going to do it. I just think it's a great idea. Uh-uh. That's, that's kind of what Melissa was talking about, right? She had a lot of great ideas, but again, we didn't have the people that could really make them happen. So this should be something that, that is near and dear to you, right? That you, you see. And I'm going to, can I brag on Brandy a little bit here? Actually, i got two I'm going to brag on. Brandy and Jeremy. Uh, Brandy came to me with the idea 
of starting a ministry for single moms. And we're, we're pursuing that. We're looking into studies, and hopefully sometime this month, or at least in the very near future, we are going to get that ministry going. And she's had a couple of folks already go to her and say, hey, I'd love to help with that. Jeremy sent me an email at the end of last week because uh, evidently the Holy Spirit had, was working on him through some of the things I'd been saying. And he said, you know, I would like to offer my services as a computer technician to the church. And if anybody has any sort of a computer problem, needs it upgraded or just got a problem and they're not sure what to do, he said, I would like to help with that. And so we're in the process of putting that in place and we'll be getting that information out to you so that um, you can take advantage of that. And I thought what, what was wonderful about it, he says he's not, he doesn't want any money for it, but whatever you as the person who receives the, uh, the service, whatever you would normally would have wanted to pay him, he said just donate it to the church. Isn't that cool? So there's just two examples of something that's, that's happening right now that, you know, could be a way for you as well to serve, you know, if something out on the board doesn't interest you. And, and, uh, and let me make a plea one more time for our kids' ministry. <laughs> Please, we really need more people to teach. It's not that difficult. You have curriculum that you will be that, that's given to you. Um, we'll have helpers in there that can sort of help control, corral, manage. So I would please give some thought to that. It's once once a month, or maybe even less, if we can get a number of people to do it. It'd be wonderful if it could be like once every six weeks. Dirty feet servanthood. It's about stuff sometimes that, you know, we make it, we really want this to be a place where you're serving in, in, in alignment with your giftings. That's important, right? Because that's the kind of thing that you'll stay with. Because when we're tapping into those giftings, that, that's what's going to give you energy and fulfillment and so forth. But frankly, there are some things sometimes where we just need help. Maybe it's only for six months until some other folks that have that gifting show up. So please give that some serious prayer time. And, you know, if you can help us out there, we would really appreciate it because we want to attract more families with children. And it's just, it sometimes breaks my heart that the same people have to be over there and they miss service week after week after week because we don't have anybody else to do it. And so please give that some, some, some prayer time. Um, we're going to end things a little bit differently today. I'm not, I'm not going to ask the worship team to come back up simply because we're going to go to lunch. And most of them are, are going to be there, and, they're, and Chip has to help serve. <laughs> so um, let's do this. Donna, would you be willing to pray, people? And John. So Donna will be on one side. John will be back there as well. If you need prayer today for whatever, then I would just ask you, you know, go back and talk to them. They would be more than happy to, to pray with you to, uh, for whatever your need may be. But I'm going to pray and kind of close our service and at the same time bless our food. And so I would ask you 
to uh, you know hang out in here for a little bit while we're getting stuff ready. But if you just want to go immediately over to the other side, uh, we've got chicken and pork barbecue and all the sides that go with that. And just have a seat. And uh, some uh, handsome or attractive man or woman will soon come to you and ask you what you would like to have for, for lunch. And uh, we'll take your order and then bring you your food and your drink. So, so let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Uh, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he gave no concern to status, to titles, to anything that the world considered important. He simply was all about what, what his father thought was important. And what his father thought was important in that moment was serving. And doing a job that no one would ever ask to do, much less volunteer for. And so, Father, that's our example. That's who we're, we are to imitate. And so, Father, I just, uh, I just ask your Holy Spirit to begin working on the hearts of all of uh, my dear friends here. That as they think back over these last four or five Sundays and about the messages that have been given, that you would begin to stir in them how they can help, how they can be a part of this. Because this church is going to have an impact. It is. And we need everybody to be a part of it. And we're going to do some serious praising and rejoicing when those things start to happen. So, Father, just move. Move in the hearts and the minds of all of those who are, uh, who are here. I just give you thanks, Lord, that you show us the way. So bless all of these people now. Guide and direct their steps in this coming week. Father, point them to opportunities to serve uh, simply in whatever context they're in, be it work or home or shopping or whatever. Father, just open their eyes to see where they can be of service. So we just thank you and praise you. Father, I pray as well that you would just bless the food that we are about to partake. that you would have it nourish us, give us strength, and through that nourishment that we would be better able to know and more importantly to do your will. So we give you thanks and praise and I lift all of this up before you now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I hope to see all of you across the hall here in just a few minutes. God bless you.